we we were doing different we call them apostolates now we call them ministries um so we had different programs that we were doing for example we had something similar to theology on tap in the states and we were doing these talks and bars and so on we started off here and we had different things like that but there was no connection between them and we were just trying to get people to get into these things but not thinking that it's not about those programs it's about moving people on like take next steps in their discipleship process Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Lift off and the clock has started. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to have you with us on the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, Powered for Impact. Today, my guest is Father George Esbitt. Father George and I met at the DR Conference in Fulda, Germany. What an amazing place, what an amazing conference, and what an amazing man. Welcome to the show, Father George. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I understand you're from Vancouver, Canada, and now you minister in Austria. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually, I was born in London, England, but that was an accident. Ah. Yeah, it was it was a, kind of an accident. My parents were there to see. Well, the, the long story, the, the short story of the long story is they were fleeing from the international police. And today we all laugh about it, but I guess back then it wasn't really funny. Um, my dad was part of a, I mean, I wouldn't maybe a criminal organization is saying a little bit too much, but he. His dealings, he was selling art across Europe, and it wasn't exactly quite kosher. And my mom believed him. She was young and naive. Um, she was an atheist at the time, wow. very convinced atheist, um, as the rest of my family. And and so the day before my birthday, we were in Paris. The next day, they wanted to be in Stockholm, but I, I ended up in London. And and so I guess they, they figured they could not flee forever from the police, or my dad didn't. And so he thought, you know, his last heroic action for his girlfriend was to think, what can I do so that she's not left without any money when I when they get me into prison? And so right. um, um, he went to the soccer game between the Germans and the British in Wembley Stadium. And um, coming back, my mom was in labor. She was in the, in the hotel room and he flew her off to the to St. George's Hospital in Westminster, which today is a hotel. And he invented this story that I was born during the second goal of the Germans against the British in the stadium and that I had free entrance my whole life into Wembley Stadium. But it was totally not true. It was just totally, you know, concoction of ideas. And he, he managed to sell it to the press. So we have British daily oh newspapers God. as well as German daily newspapers reporting about the Wembley baby. And with that, my mom had a little bit to live, you know, and then his, he just waited in the hospital for the, for the police, for the Interpol to come. And they took him away and then he had eight years of prison. Um, he was extradited to Germany, and uh, Mum had to admit at some point that this was all true and that he'd been betraying her, and and so she mm. left him. And um, well, you know, kind of, it's a long, it's a long story, complicated story. I ended up at some point in Canada, and I grew up there with a wonderful, with my foster father. My my real father passed away, um, yeah, under kind of strange circumstances. But anyway, that's another story. Um, and he's been a wonderful dad to me, really. Like, just, you know, I call mm. him Papa, and he really is a wonderful person. Um, and they, my, so my parents, they live in Vancouver, well, north of Vancouver at the end of the world. Um, yes. And sticks. And, um, yeah, and I've been here in Vienna for 18 years, like forever. Uh, I was sent yeah. 18 years ago from, from my religious order. I'm from the Legionaries of Christ. It's religious order. Some might know. and. Um, well, we've, we've had a rough ride. I mean, as an order and here in Vienna, we've had a rough ride. So it, yeah. it's been interesting. And, um, but here I am. <laughs> Life is full of ups and downs. What a story. I, I'm sure there's some people actually, California is usually my first or second highest listener base in the United States. And I'm pretty sure there's somebody listening to this right now in the movie business thinking, 
I have to get a hold of that guy. That is one crazy good story for for Hollywood. I I can see Tom Cruise playing the Wembley baby. You could be famous. Yeah. That's that is a crazy story, eh? Yeah. We all have a story. Yeah, thank yeah, you for sharing that. Also, but it's also a story of redemption, you know. Um, mm. um, my mom, four years later, she had a spectacular conversion experience, almost like a mystical experience. Um, it's yeah, we want to talk about other things, but it's just, it's just been it's just been an incredible story of redemption. And and I, I mean, I here you can imagine here in secularized Europe and in this secularized city. Uh, where there's so many stories of brokenness and 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 that mm. to be able to give that hope like i'm part of a religious congregation that's that shouldn't be here anymore um we, you know with pedophile founder he's done everything in the book that you could think of um my own parents story you know there's so many like things that i've experienced in my life which which is which has made me see that God is so great that he can break, bring great things out of horrible situations. That doesn't make the horrible situations great, no, but it makes our God great. Um, and it just brought more his mercy and his love. And um, yeah, and I'm kind of a walking witness of that, right? Of, of just mm. like how God works and, and not because one is so great personally, but just because he's so great. No? So, yeah. Amen. How did God break into your life? Um, that's a very good question. I, you know, there's not like with my mom, she was, it was a moment in four seconds, like walking past the church and seeing the blessed sacrament, even though she had never been in one out of conviction, like she would not be caught alive in a church. Um, mm. so it wasn't like that. I didn't have a Paul experience for me. It was always kind of there and in the back of my mind and in my heart, there was this call to become a priest. And I can't tell you why it's been. It's been there since as long as I can remember, at least since I'm four or five years old. And uh, mm. even though I had my moment of a kind of estrangement walking away from the Catholic Church when I was 18 and so on, but if I'm really honest, even in that time, I knew God was calling me. And, really? and so that's been my biggest, I think actually now that you're asking me, it's, I don't have any other like big charisms of, I can't speak in tongues. I can't heal anybody. When somebody asks me to bless a child, so it doesn't scream so much. It screams more, you know. But what what I love is that God has given me this incredible security in my vocation. And I, I think I doubted it once when I was 14, like on an afternoon, and that was it. And and I thought everybody was like that, you know. And, and somebody asked me, how are you, Father? And I say, well, I feel like I'm freshly falling in love and gets worse all the time. It's been like that for 30 years, you know. And but it's it's for me the the older I get and the more I deal with couples and things it's just you say oh my god like this is this is such an incredible grace and it's again for me one of the the miracles of of like where you can just touch grace because it's not something that's because of me you know what I mean it's just yeah it's just so that for me has been so such a powerful grace um which I'm and I think it's helped me through a lot of rough times like the situation mm. with our founder. Um, 10 years of, after 10 years of working here in Vienna, we had 10, we had three dysfunctional small groups, like after 10 years, it was, mm -hmm. you know, and going through those difficult times of, um, our neighboring priest here, he had one first communion in his, in his first communion class that didn't come from his parish. And it was just, you know, the city is a rough place. Everybody says that about their place, I guess, but. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, and just to have that surety and, you know, well, at the end of the day, our Lord is there and, and, and I can, mm. and he carries me. So anyway, yeah, that's kind of beautiful. Well, one of the things I've learned about you and, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you anytime we spend time together, uh, I find myself that much more inspired, but you just, not only are you secure in your priesthood and, and, and that call came early. You have this burning passion to make a difference in the midst of a culture that really is pretty apathetic towards faith, and 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 it that it burns like that. Those embers burn inside of you, and, and you're you're engaged in a project now that I would suggest is is outlandish in so many ways, if not through the eyes of faith. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you're doing. I'd love for our listeners to hear what you're doing, and then I'll interject some questions as we go, but uh, just give them an overview of, of kind of what you're engaged in right now. Right. Well, when we started, I, I don't think I realized what I was really engaged in. Um, 
<laughs> and and I and I it's people ask us, hey, what are you doing? And I say, well, we're like a startup. We're building an airplane and it's starting to fly, but it's not built yet. Totally. <laughs> but we're learning to fly as we go. Um, it, so, like the, the short form is this: we we're because of the situation of the diocese of Vienna, um, where where the the cardinals ask for certain things to be done. It's kind of complicated to explain the legal terminology, but for all intents and purposes, I'm in this conversation, I'm just going to say we're a parish. And even though it's milieu specific, but that aside, um, um, so we're a parish that, that is trying to find ways to enthuse unchurched people, above all young people, for Jesus Christ and his church, and then capacitate them for missionary discipleship and help other churches do the same thing. That, so that's our vision in one statement. Now, how did it get there? That's another story, right? Because at the beginning, I just told you, we had three dysfunctional small groups after 10 years. And I mean, there was nice pastoral experience. I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to paint a picture, which isn't true. I don't want to overstate things, no. But um, right. so, I mean, I had nice pastoral experience. I was invited to different conferences. But at the end of the day, we weren't building up anything institutionally, really. and and so out of that frustration, and I was just thinking, okay, well, we have 8% practicing Catholics in this country, which means 92% don't practice. But once you hit the cities, that just, you know, goes down much more. And there's unfortunately no real hard statistics, but there's estimations that among young people under 35, we're below 1% practicing Catholics in the city of Vienna. <clears throat> And so I was trying to do the math and I said, well, okay, there's the Cardinal. He has always been very open to different movements and, 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 and congregations and, and things. And there's a few active parishes, I think, doing wonderful work. Um, and there's about 2,000 young people in the city still going reg- more or less regularly to church. And you kind of see them all over the place. And you divide them between those 20 organizations, 20, 25 organizations, and you get, you know, between 50 and maybe 200 young people that are still going. And but like there is an ocean out there of people that aren't going right, and and so I said, well, the only way to grow here, and our typical thing was we want to activate like people to become more missionary disciples, but we would try to do it with people that are at least in some way open to the faith, and, and I mean they're kind of looking for more, or and and I realized that category person, I just had to admit to myself at some point that category person doesn't exist in this city because they're either somewhere else already. So the only way to grow is to steal people from other movements or parishes that we want. Mm. Maybe not the best idea. Um, and Or I go home and I go back to feeding the cows in our ranch in Canada. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> like what do I do? So out of that frustration, um, <clears throat> I, I started just looking around and um, asking myself, well, what is God asking? And somebody put a book in my hand from somebody else who's had huge leadership issues, unfortunately, now, and that's Willow Creek association um but there's a book called uh, leading with courage and and i i just swallowed it up because i said wow these guys these are these like they're telling us certain principles that we say that we espouse but like they're kind of showing us ways and Mm -hmm. because i said i'm i'm i've got to look outside the box like because we were copying paste what we were doing in other places and it wasn't working and um and everybody was saying, just follow, be faithful to the methodology and it'll work. And I said, yeah. And, and they would quote Mother Teresa to me, like, you know, I have not, uh, my life is not to have, be faithful, but to be, sorry, to be fruitful, but to be faithful. And I said, or to have success, better said. That's the word, the wording that she supposedly had said. And I said, yeah, but that lady was really, I mean, very fruitful <laughs> for the kingdom of God. No? Um, yeah. And obviously because of her holiness of life, etc., but also, God was on a move. He was doing something and the Holy Spirit was moving and she was playing along. And, and so what I started realizing is, well, asking myself the question, um, where is God moving and what is he moving and, and how can we kind of play along? And so I started looking around and that was a three-year process. I don't want to bore you with it, but I read 40 books on leadership, on, on renewal of, I looked at, and, and I said, I'm really going to look outside the box. So I looked, yes, I looked at a lot of Catholic churches. Um, one that inspired me a lot in France um, and some in North America and Canada, um, institutions here in Austria also that inspired me. 
but I also said, I'm going to look, I'm going to look at Protestant churches. Um, and, and that experience has been really interesting for me because it's, it's made me my love greater for the Catholic church. And even for my own congregation and my own movement, it, it's helped me to understand like certain things that we do. Some Protestants help me to realize they're more, they're pretty biblical actually. What we're doing. Um, that was an interesting experience. I've been, I've been a legionary of Christ for 20 years and, and I needed a Protestant to tell me that like some of our basic principles are based on the Bible. It was like, very humbling, um, but at the same time, very beautiful at the same time. And, and so that, that wasn't, so like I said, I read a lot of books, but it wasn't just book reading. We actually went to places. I, I, and above all, I think we started praying a lot more and little by little God was, and you always got to be careful about this thing. God wanted us and God was giving us this, right? Because it could be your own little birdie in your head, but um, we had the impression. And I think it seems to me that, that God is, has been giving us a vision and 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 little by little we started just trying out things and things were happening within a year of of with permission of the diocese of starting this parish which is really an anomaly right because all the parishes are closing our neighboring diocese they're going from 530 some parishes to 35 and because they're making basically they're making um parishes out of the deaneries and and vienna was doing something similar but they were giving the the opportunity to start something new as well and we just didn't realize it at the time. The pastoral office of the cardinal told me later that we were the first ones to try. And actually, we're still there is one other organization trying to do something similar, but that's it. And um, and so we started this thing in 2015, in the fall of 2015, with more or less an idea that we wanted to reach unchurched people, that we needed to change our culture, which was extremely inward looking. And just I was a service provider for a very um, passive laity, even though I was saying I was, I was so supposedly forming apostles, but to be like the truth of the matter was, is that I was forming consumers. And that's, I don't, I don't um, criticize the lay people of that time in any way. I think that was my own fault. And um, I take that on my own responsibility. Um, yeah. um, you know, and it, so it, there was no bad will on the part of anybody, not also on my part either. You know, I thought I was being zealous priests and everything, right. And trying to yeah. do all these activities and, Get lots of kids in our youth programs and do retreats and all this but at the end of the day we you know it just was not it was just so unhealthy <laughs> right and unsustainable I, too by the sounds of it <laughs> and so within a year of having having started this new this um this parish in the fall of 2015 we had to remodel our building because we didn't have enough place for all the people coming we had 12 small groups instead of three dysfunctional ones after 10 years. Now, I realize even today we have about 350 people, you know, involved in the center. Most of them, I'm by far the oldest. So we're, we're quite young um, congregation. Um, and I realized that's like I was just in Atlanta a few weeks ago and I was at a parish. They had 4000 people on the weekend and eight masses. And, you know, like and they were complaining about their 30 percent practicing in the We'd be dancing in the streets. We'd have thirty percent practicing Catholics, you know. Uh, but like, so you you have to kind of understand our context. Like, there is no, there aren't young people don't go to mass here. It just doesn't happen. And and to have three hundred young people and one hundred and eighty volunteers involved in different ministries, ministries, what we call our kind of our different programs that we do. Um, it's just it's just been such a blessing, and it's and it's been. Um, just incredible to see what God has been doing, right? And so the last few. All right, so I'm going to pause you for a second because there's something I've really got to get to the heart of. And so, love what you were saying. Like ten years of worth of work, three dysfunctional, um, three dysfunctional small groups, um, and in one year, starting in 2015, you had 12 healthy small groups and re redesigning your church. You have 350 people, young people engaged, uh, which 180 are volunteers. So it, it sounds like, and again, I'm replaying this back to you to make sure I'm on the same page, but it's through your hard work, recognizing that although I'm working my brains out, the fruit of what I'm doing, I'm not seeing, like it's not I'm not getting the results I thought I would get if I worked this hard, did these things, did these programs. As a result, you pulled back a bit, you dove into reading like crazy, and you also began to do some research all over the world, both in the Catholic world and non-Catholic world, to see who's doing things that is working. And it sounds like that whole process, was there anything specific that came out of that, or was it just this growing sense of 
that you can do it and that this is possible? Um, well, there was a lot of specifics that were coming out of it, but we were taking things from here and there and, and not saying, okay, this model is, because I had made that mistake before, right? I was taking the, the model from Legionaries in Christie, Mexico or United States and trying to apply it here. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, I did look more in contexts that were kind of, that were urban because that was our situation. Mm -hmm. um, little parentheses, there was a, a parish here from the mountains in the middle of nowhere in Austria that came with their leadership team. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, and they were, you know, looking for inspiration and help, and 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 I said, look, guys, I mean, we're in a city, and our situation is totally different than your situation, right? And so mm. we we really try to have that clear in our head. It's not about the model, no, but there are certain principles that we were sure. learning and that are applicable, and I think in various different in different circumstances and situations, you know, maybe some more than others in different situations. You have to kind of discern that. That's the process of discernment, right? But yes, there was lots of practical, like, for example, I mean, I could, I could just, we could talk the whole time just about that, right? It's just, um, no, seriously, there was so much we had to learn. Um, people, not programs, like one of our big mantras, no, um, to say we, we were doing different, we call them apostolates, now we call them ministries. Um, so we had different programs that we were doing. For example, we had something similar to theology on tap in the States. And we were mm -hmm. doing these talks in bars and so on. We started off here and we had different things like that, but there was no connection between them. And we were just trying to get people to get into these things, but we're not thinking that it's not about those programs. It's about moving people on, like take next steps in their discipleship process. And And the other thing that was really incredible for me was Instead of trying, I was quite the lone ranger and, and, and doing different things. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I realized how, what a power there is when there's a community of people doing these apostolates. And, but like, for example, now the center is the platform for everything we do. Before we had very, it was very dispersed. There was no synergy happening between those different programs. And so one of the first things we did is to say, we put on, we had a big, like, um, uh, on, on, on one of the walls, we, we, we painted a picture of Anna and Lucas. And like five meters down, we painted another picture of Anna and Lucas with a halo around their head. And we, and we asked ourselves, how do we get from A to B? Like, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. and, and so we started putting just our different programs on, the, on, on that grid and saying, and we realized we had a lot of things at the beginning. We had some things at the other side, but we had very little things in the middle. And it just made us okay, like we need to kind of structure the way we do things. And I'm not saying we're in any way perfect. Like I said, we make tons of mistakes. Um, but like to try just at least intentionally to, to just to structure your programs in such a way that they're helping people to move on and that everybody knows that it's not about my program or my ministry or my apostolate, but it's about the mm -hmm. people that we're trying to help move forward. And we're, we're doing this as a team. You know? And it's just, I never want to work in another way again. It's just, it's just it's just night and day. And that's one thing. Another thing that in the last previous years that we've really learned from different organizations, you really got to work on your culture in an intentional way. And with culture, I mean the values that we're actually living, like not the ones that we espouse to hopefully, like before we we're saying we we're forming apostles, um, but we really weren't. And so to be very, very active in, 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 for example, I think that one of the core values that we have here is empowerment. And I know, I think in English, that sounds a bit, um, that has certain connotations that maybe not everybody likes, but I, I don't, I don't think I mean it that way. It's very, it's a very positive term saying, I think um, so. especially in young people. Um, I, I realize you've got to like before, at the end of the day, I said, I wanted to form these people. But at the end of the day, I want to make all the decisions. <laughs> I want to keep control, right? <clears throat> and, and to say, no, no, we, I've, got to, I've got to trust them enough to allow them to make mistakes um, and, and accompany them when they make the mistakes so that they, they're not depressed and, and they say, hey, this is a great learning opportunity. You can grow through this. Um, but, for example, our, our worship leader, that's worship leader, we, we mean our music leader, like the one that's running. So. Mm -hmm. She's the one, um, she has about 40 volunteers underneath her helping with the music and, you know, organizing the different masses and so on. And her one-line job description, I got that from Andy Stanley, by the way, who's kind of lead pastor of North Point um, Community Church. Um, so we're taking things from all over the place. But one of, one of the ideas that he had is 
like you have your job description, but try to formulate it also in one line. So her one line mm. description is forming next generation worship leaders. Like it's not wow. make sure that your music is good on, on Saturday night. That's also important, but her primary thing when everything falls and doesn't work, it's you, you're investing in people. No, that's, that's what this is all about. So that's another thing that we, I think we've, that we've learned you know, is to say, okay, we want to really, really invest in people and make, make them grow and help them to grow and create an atmosphere where they can grow or this outward look instead of being we were like i was saying if somebody would have come to us to one of our masses i doubt that somebody would have talked to them after mass and maybe in the states that's different because the culture but here people are reserved anyway until you make a bigger friendship maybe it depends where you are in the states as well but um but like and again, it wasn't bad will. These are young people. They love to see their friends mm-hmm. after a week. You know, you haven't seen each other. You want to talk. And, but you don't notice that there's somebody actually new. And to create a culture mm-hmm. of, of really, and, and actually some people talk about welcome culture. We don't really like that term too much because it could be implying that it's about, you know, creating a nice atmosphere so that people um, become Christians and become part of the church and so on. But it can't it can't be manipulative right it has to be really authentic just loving the people that come like real interest mm-hmm. and, and whatever happens that's in god's hands but it's not so i'm going to be nice to you so that you become part of my club which is called church that's that's not it amen and and but to create that kind of a culture we need constant conversion right because it's it's so easy to fall back into your so before <sighs> to say the weekend is about it's not about us but it's about serving the people that come and to try to so our evangelization strategy actually is very simple it's um, we also do street missions and that but we 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 don't see them so effective or so um fruit bringing for the kingdom um it's trying to create an atmosphere where you can invite your unchurched friends and invest in those relationships invite people to come you know another thing we learn from another church right it's and it's so true it's and it's so natural and it's it's actually it's not that complicated you know? um so or this this intentionality of saying it's about the weekend and to say what can, how can we create a weekend experience um, um, mm. importance of alpha and so again it's not that we've said we're going to adopt one particular model but we're trying to see with a lot of gratitude a lot, a lot of things from divine renovation father james become a good friend mm-hmm. um, but, to, but but to adopting different things from different places and seeing what that could mean in our context and maybe invite inventing a few things of our own. Right. So, yeah. And I, I love it. Well, what, let me ask you, Father George, what did you, um, this is so cool, by the way, I'm just soaking up, taking notes like crazy. I think I'm already on page three, just loving what you're saying. So, um, but what did you, so it's a lot of things that, you know, this whole, you know, being intentional about the culture uh, and what you, what you're truly living, uh, you know, empowerment and atmosphere where people will grow. Um, recognizing who's new and loving the people who come. Uh, love that. Next steps within discipleship process, people, not programs. Uh, instead of being a lone ranger, bringing these leaders together to serve in ministry, mapping out what you're doing so that you can work together to move people along closer to Jesus. Absolutely love it. That's a lot of new thinking. That's a lot of shifts and paradigms, which I absolutely love. What did you have to let go of when you think about what you were doing previously and what and how you evolved in your thinking? What kinds of things did you have to break free from? Well, I think institutionally, I, it, it's kind of hard. I, I'm, I'm hope I'm hoping that this is kind of realistic things of what really happened because I'm. It's been a process, so I'm not always exactly sure if I remember things correctly. But I, and I'm not sure if I was really a big. I had a big problem with this, but I think we as an institution, Reagan Christie, it was for a long time about trying to get new members, you know, to be, have members of this movement, and supposedly with the goal of of helping them. I mean, through with them to transform society and blah blah blah. And but I think the danger behind that was a lot of times that that became an end in itself, like you know. Um, I I think it wasn't too much of a problem here because nobody was joining anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was um but 
But that idea of what are we here for? We're not here for ourselves. Even like I see myself as, as our congregation, our Ray and Christie, is here to serve the church. And it's, it's here to bring people to God um, and, and to find, help them find the fullness of their vocation. And that has to be our ultimate goal. And if they end up here, that's great. If they, some of them even might feel the vocation to, like, to become a member of Ray Christie, that's fine. But that's not at all written on our, like, I remember one of the, in the beginnings, one of the brothers came from Rome and I had just preached spiritual exercise and he said, hey, Father, so how many people entered in Christie? And I said, nobody, but we had two baptisms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more concerned about bringing people into the kingdom. Thank so, you very much. So, so that's one thing maybe like to say, hey, we, and even um, this is for us an anomaly. Like we have certain institutional apostles of Red and Christie that we do worldwide, and we're here. We're saying, okay, our charism. I think we're very, being very faithful to our charism, which is to say we want to form apostles, missionary disciples. The only thing that we're doing different is saying I'm starting the process earlier, and and we're doing it in an area where we maybe have never thought about so much before, which is to say how can we help um, above all other parishes, parish leaders to do their work better so that they can, you know, help others to be missionary disciples. And it's, it's giving, it's an attitude, I think, of giving away, of being very generous with your, with your time, with your resources. Like, for example, there's, there's another priest from the Diocese of Vienna. He has nothing to do with us. Like, he's a friend, he's, but he's not a legionary. He's just another Dawson priest. And he's trying to start a church plant also in a very, really interesting concept. And the Episcopal, um, um, council of the cardinal gave him the okay, um, which is about two years ago. And his main guy running, like helping him, and who's hired by him is someone who found a faith here and who has been also has found for, for formation here. But now we've kind of let him go to help this other, you know. And and I think, and again, I mean, I, lo- I love to tell you tons of those stories. I can't tell you tons of those stories, but. But that's the direction I think that's very healthy and good to say. Mm. Like, and it gives so much freedom. You know, you couldn't imagine how much freedom it gives just to say whatever God, you know, whatever. And, and or one of our best musicians for, I mean, now she's kind of coming back again with some things. But for a while, for about three or four years, she was the head musician for the local university chaplaincy. And, and people were saying, you know, we've lost one of our best people. And it's we haven't lost one of our best people. She's serving the church, bringing people to God. They have a, now they have a mass there with 200 young people on Sunday night. It's awesome. Like, and to be able to say that and, and, you know, so I think that's one thing that's, that's at least become more healthy in our situation. I don't, mm. and, I, and I don't want to judge how that was in other parts of the world. I can't really say, but I'm just saying in our own situation, I think that's one thing. Um, there's, <laughs> Maybe one of the things is is security about the future because like this has been such a crazy ride and 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 there's so many new things happening and and to try to say like years I was trying to say okay we've got to work with teenagers because we work with teenagers but it just wasn't working and God was blessing our work with university students but no 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 we have to work with teenagers <laughs> and and to say well okay you can learn how to surf a wave that God is building but you can't build the wave yourself right and and we were years we were trying to build our own waves and. <laughs> stop doing that and see you know what is god blessing and how can we move along or for another example is is the last two or three years it it wasn't part of our vision to help other parishes we said we got enough work here of our to do in a city right yes. like we have 99 point something pop of the population of the catholics not going to church so it's blue ocean there's not a lot of work being done with those people and so we have enough work with that but for some reason, about two or three years ago, just parishes started showing up at our doors and knocking physically or, or through Zoom or, or through mail or through WhatsApp and, and from Germany, from Switzerland, from Austria. And interestingly enough, above all, from Germany. So they're not even in the same country. They're getting to know us like rinky dinky um, startup parish above a gas station. You should see this place. It's, it's, um, it's, and so it's, you know, and, and, and it's very humbling. Like to see that that God is blessed somehow. It's using us, our brokenness, maybe even like I'm sure is using our brokenness to help inspire other parishes. So we said, okay, maybe this should become part of our vision because 
he's doing something here, you know? And, and mm. it, I've been reflecting a lot and praying on this because I think after the council in a lot of places, it was the movements and, and also congregations that kind of kept faith alive, simplifying a lot, obviously, because this great parish has always been there. Great, you know, that doing great work, but in a lot of places, I, that's just my very superficial reading of the last 40, 50 years. Um, and, in the last years, it seems that the Holy Spirit is doing something for parish renewal. And I'm thinking Divine Renovation, Rebuild, um, AmazingParish.com. Here there's an organization, yeah. Pinks. There's different things happening, coming yeah. more out of, the, out of the English-speaking world. But and, and I'm asking myself, well, it seems to me the Holy Spirit is like doing something. And, and we want to be part of it. So and, and so that's why we started doing this other thing, you know, and saying, okay, well, Let's start doing, let's start thinking in that direction. So now we have, um, two years ago, I mean, we ran out of, play, out of room pretty quickly here. We have our chapel is, people say, wow, you have four masses, but yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, but we only can fit 90 people. It, like we can squeeze 90 people into this, into this building in non-COVID times. So right. um, we were really desperate to look for a new building. We've, we looked around, we looked at 100 different properties, it was insane, three years. And it was hard to find something because most, buildings in downtown Vienna. We're 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 an urban context. We're downtown. Um also you have to know that European cities are in that way work differently than a lot of American cities. Downtown, you don't have the homeless and you have some homeless people, but like poverty is not in the middle of the city. Like this is where mm. um this is where the action is. This is where the students are. This is where the young professionals are. This is where culture is. This is where the government is. Everything like the most of the action, so to speak, of this country that's influencing this country is happening within a small circumference here in the city of Vienna. And 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 I'm not saying like you can have a lot of different contexts. And I'm hoping that one of our next church plants, and that sounds very Protestant, but we got the idea from John Paul II actually as a quote from him, um, um, is going to be in a very poor section of the city. And and um, so that that's all great. But what I'm saying, our context that it just providence, I think providence has kind of put us is, is the context that we have. And so to find a building, you know, all of, all these buildings are under heritage um, constraints and you can't find anything which has more than 250 square meters on one floor. So we will have, have the chapel on one floor and the welcoming area on another. And so long story short, we finally found this old hotel um, and we bought it last year and crazy because it's, sum of money that is totally above our heads and somehow it was possible and and now we're in the process of re renewing that we're putting two more stories on top and what's great about this building is now it's not about the building it's about the people at the end of the day right but the architecture of the building can also help so for example there's a local parish and we help out in that parish as well like just the priest he's um he needs some help because he's episcopal vicar at the same time anyway that parish is a neo-gothic church beautiful church but it's freezing in the wintertime. And the only thing that you want to go do when you get done with mass is, well, first of all, mass has to be over quickly because if not, you freeze to death. And, and the second thing is, is, is you want to go home and drink some tea. You don't want to hang around, stick around. And, and the parish hall is five streets down. Like you lose everybody. Nobody stays around for that. So you can't create a, no. and especially for, if you want to reach unchurched people, you need to create community. Like we, one of our mantras is belonging before believing. Like you have to, people have to feel loved before they're even willing to listen to what you have to say, right? So this this building is going to have similar to here, but like on a grander scale. If you take away our the cloister part, um, it, the new building is nine times the size of what we have now. Um, so it's quite an ambitious thing. And um, but so you have to go through the restaurant to get into the church, actually. Into the, in the new building and the church is on so the restaurant that you guys will own and run. Yes. Or one that you'll lease. Yep. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, well, the legal structure, but that's not so important. The point yes. is, is yep. that you have an area of welcome where people have to go through to get into the building. Um, and so we're really excited about that, but it's not, again, it's not about the building, but this is our platform. Cause we realized, I think when we were, we were talking to people in England, friends of ours from HTP and, and um, there's you no, know, to do a church plan, like, what we mean with the church plan is that we start a new quasi-parish, specific with permission of the diocese. Um, mm -hmm. In order to do that, we need to have a certain size so that the plant doesn't kill us. And 
And um, <clears throat> our problem with this building right now is just that we can't grow much more because just there's it's insane on on Sunday with young families and little kids. It just it's just just no there's just allowed and and so we we really need space and and so this building will allow that. But at the same time we're we're planning we have we're calling it the model church not because we're such great models but just um, I, I think one of the reasons why parishes are coming to us is because it's not just a book, although I've just written a book on our discipleship pathway and, and to try to like put it in, 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 you know, in writing what we're trying to do and um, actually just try to do an English translation. It's kind of bad English, yet, but it's, it kind of gives the idea. But, but what we're doing is not just a book. It's a place where you can actually go to it and touch it and see it and talk to the people. Yes. And, and, and I think that's what's interesting for other parishes because it gives them hope because they see us and they say, boy, if those nutcases can get something off the ground, maybe we can as well. Sorry for that expression, though, because we have really great people as well. But it's not that we're all such super talents and, and, yeah. and, and I don't know, like everybody is, is, is super professional in everything they do, you know? So if, I think that gives a lot of um, inspiration and hope to people. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we do give, do give a lot of emphasis to leadership formation. So we do try to really move people along and, and that obviously helps. And God has given us the blessing of having some really um, very capable people like behind things, you know, that even mm-hmm. from a business point of view, help us to develop some of these ideas that we're doing. And obviously church is not a business, but there's certain principles that, that also that we're, we're trying to use, you know, be wise as serpents and simple as doves, as Jesus would say. So, mm-hmm. um, so we have four main areas. One is the model church. The second is, we're calling it resource church, which is um, trying to help other parishes in a more systematic way than we've been doing. Um, we're just starting our ministry in that area. So it's not quite so haphazard mm-hmm. our support. Um, and in the new building, we're, we're, we want to do that in a more like, in, for example, we're develop, we have a, something called the Leadership and Discipleship Academy, which is, it sounds like a big thing. It's actually quite a small thing, but we're, we're trying to develop that more or, there's some of our people involved in something called the Vienna Worship Academy, and it's 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 all about helping people understand what um, the role of music. At the end of the day, I, maybe it doesn't even matter what type of music you do, but I think what's really important is that it always has to be sacred music, um, but that the musicians are praying their music, and that they're mm. so good that they're so well formed that they don't have to think about the notes but that they can actually concentrate on praying. And mm. so it's, we, when we tra- try to train our, our worship leaders, it's, it's not, um, you're not presenting yourself. That's the first step. Like it's not, a, this is not an ego trip. Um, the second thing, it's not about trying to create an atmosphere where people are touched by God. Again, it's not manipulative but it's only and solely for the glory of God. And if that's, but but the ironical thing, well, not the ironical thing, understandably, I think, is when that's, when that happens, and again, it needs conversion always on the part of all of us. But when it's true, it just, and in the degree that it happens, it's just very touching because, I don't know, it just opens a window for for God's grace to flow down and his Holy Spirit to work. And and so um, that's another thing that we want to try and do, you know, is help parishes understand that. And yes, we have a certain type of music style right now. Um, we do more like a modern type of, of, of praise and worship. Actually, we have some great musicians that are writing their own songs and their own masses and trying to think what does worship mean in a Catholic context? Because a lot of that tradition is coming from the Protestant area. And I think we have so much like there we can, that's we're such an enriching dialogue between the two. Amen. Um, but but again, I, we're not saying that you have to do that. Like you, I think you can do different styles, and maybe in the future we will. You just don't have the resources to do it right now. Um, but mm. what's important is that there's it's it's an attitude, right? It's a it's a lifestyle of that. Whatever I do, I do for the, His glory and His honor. And um, so that that's so the resource church, the model church, and then we have what we're calling church planting, um, which is this this. That we go into the new building with this um, already training people that are going to that are going to start the next the next um, community, and and then the last thing we're calling a digital church, which is something which has become accelerated, not surprisingly, during Corona, and and we're having just really interesting experience. For example, we have I think right now five alpha courses going on 
um, parallel and like some are online, some are offline. Um, and we're doing different types of alpha courses, so the parent course and the and the and the marriage course, etc. But so we all have participants from Belgium, from Denmark, from Sweden, from Croatia, from Germany, and that was one thing that was really started rattling us and saying, okay, what does this mean? And and the second thing though, what's happening is that there's people not just participating, but they're actually they're taking steps in their discipleship online. So, um, for example, we'll have a uh, and a small group leader who's living in Germany or somebody running our live stream cameras remote from Munich and another city, you know, and it's just like, okay, what does that mean for us as a local church, like here in a geographical area um, that, and the other day, actually, we were having a discussion because one of our, the young guys who's who just got on board and he was kind of questioning, does this make any sense? Cause we're, we're, we're getting people away from the real thing. Like they're not experiencing sacraments and they're just doing it all online. And then we had, this was a hybrid conversation. So some of the people were here in the room and some of them were online. So one of the girls online raises her finger and he says, she says, she's from Germany and says, you know, I got to know you guys about two years ago. And um, I ran into some of the, the, the homilies from Father George and iTunes. And, and that led me to the YouTube channel. And I was listening to some of your couples talking about like different relationship issues and your, your YouTube podcast. And, and, and then um, I just, I was getting more and more involved. I got involved in a small, in an online small group. And, and now I just want to give part of some of that back, but just so that, you know, um, I wasn't going to church a lot before. And, and through you, I've been going to my local church just so much more than I used to. And it was, <laughs> it was, yes, exactly. That was my reaction. I, I couldn't, I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't have come across better. No, I tried to explain it, but when somebody was giving a reason, that happened. <laughs> and now with the metaverse coming, um, and we have some, for example, um, actually, yes, I was just talking to a young guy. There's a guy here who's, um, who's a race car driver. And he, last year he won the, the famous race in, in France, which I can never remember uh, the name of it, but it's, it's like big in racing. And so he's, he's a pretty, pretty interesting guy. And, um, and he's starting a company now in, 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 in Spain, in the metaverse and, and they're doing different things. And so we're having a discussion because he's, he's gotten the last two years very involved here in the center. Um, how, yeah, I think that's the technological revolution that, you know, that we shouldn't, um, that, that we shouldn't just say, oh, we're not going to be involved in that as a church, right? So to see how, mm. what does that mean for us? So th those are areas that we're investing in the future. And that's why, um, I mean, sorry, I've been talking forever, rambling on, but the original question, like right at the beginning of this conversation was, what are you trying to do? Or what do you think you're doing? And I think, I think what we want to do is we want to con be a contribution in creating a movement of revitalization of parishes. and. Mm -hmm to think it even on a bigger scale to say we'd like to have be a contribution in in a proliferation of resource churches in the german speaking world and beyond like so which i mean mm. by that i mean parishes that are not just doing this thing of getting unchurched people enthused for the church and for jesus and becoming missionary disciples but that also see themselves as wanting to help other parishes. And I think um, that would be so awesome. Like if, if something like that is, is, is actually going to happen. And, and I think it's not so crazy an idea and, and, you know, let's, but again, I can't read the future. I don't know where God is taking this. Um, so I don't want to be sound. I don't know. Like, haughty or prideful or whatever because hmm. um i i realize everything that's happening here really is grace it's 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 just been the grace of god and i think the hmm. big change actually happened when we made the decision to spend a lot more time as a community and i mean like as a parish community praying and and really we, one of our other things that we really try to implement is like really, what we're calling it a culture of prayer so which doesn't mean just 24 seven and trying to have perpetual adoration and moving that direction, but like just the way that we do things for that. Sometimes people really comment mm -hmm. when they come here, we'll have a like leadership team meeting and we'll, before we 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And no, 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 no. And then, okay, let's, now we're going to save the world, you know, right? right? Like, <laughs> prayer was here, and then, and then, and then we'd save the world, right? But to realize, no, 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 we're going to spend a good deal of time praying and trying to listen and trying to, what is he asking mm-hmm. of us? And, and whatever we do, and there's just a culture of that happening. And again, we're not perfect and everything. But ever since we've trying to do that more, just, I don't know, it's just, Tons more blessings are happening. And, and so I'm excited to see where this is going. Father George, the, I, I just want to summarize a couple of things. And I want to ask you one more question before we wrap up. Uh, I can tell already that we're going to do this again sometime because I want to keep this conversation going because it's just so, there's just so much in this conversation to unpack that is just so cool. But what I'm taking away today is here's a priest who for 10 years busted his butt, not unlike Father Michael White from Rebuilt, mm. trying to do everything he could to make a difference. But when he stepped back and looked, he realized he was way, working way harder than the fruit he was bearing. And so to go from doing that for 10 years with three dysfunctional, dysfunctional small groups to having a church of 350 that is <laughs> that is seeking to be a model church, a resource church, have a leadership and discipleship academy, a worship academy, a church planting focus, and a digital church, and actually doing it, purchasing a a small hotel and renovating it so that you can have a a great big giant community of growing disciples. Like your transformation as a leader, it seems to me you went into the desert at one point after those 10 years, and you doubled down on reading visiting and being formed. It sounds to me that it was that process of being sent into the desert that transformed you because what you're doing now with the amount of people that you have does not make sense. It is an obvious display of miraculous, of miraculous grace. And I, it's so exciting to me. And so thank you for Thank you for going to the desert, for doing that research, that transformation, because the truth is, if you don't have that passion and that belief as a pastor, you'll never lead it. And sometimes I see people burning themselves out on the battlefield of ministry, and they just stay in that battle, and they keep losing, and they lose their zeal. But what I'm hearing from you is on that battlefield, when you realize this wasn't working, you pulled back. And, and, and you did something different and what you did transformed your thinking, uh, probably transformed your network. It probably transformed your prayer by the sounds of it. Uh, all kinds of things took place as you transform. And that is leading to this unbelievable transformation of leadership, which. So, I mean, this is around the leadership podcast. So I, I, I mean, I, Sorry, I didn't talk more about that, but obviously you don't have to. <laughs> that has to be. That is a big, big thing. Like for us, the whole topic of leadership is really, really important. And and I think um, um, there's another idea we got from another church that the leader should try to be the dumbest person in the room. Like, oh, that's um, awesome. and and I think this idea of like letting go, trusting the team, get the right people on the bus. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I could tell, other, yeah, we have to do this again sometime, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to do this again. That's just so, we, we could probably do this once a month and, and, and just get started after. A but maybe I did want to say one more thing. And that is like, sure. I, people like they talk a lot about, you know, Father George this, Father George that. And I say, well, when they come from outside and, but that it's not, that's not it anymore, right? We have such an awesome team of people that that have stepped up into leadership roles and and do things. If I wouldn't have like my operating manager, for example, um, this place would be chaotic. I'm I'm a visionary and I go forward and I I am really you know I'm really convinced about the vision and I want to make sure that it was going that direction. But operation and organization and like that's not my greatest strength. Right. And so we, we need, you need to, to, I think it also that's, but that's part of leadership, right. Is, is, is to, is to admit your weaknesses and, and to see where your strengths are and, 
and to hone down on that and to try to like have people step up and then but then really giving them responsibility and not just pretending to and that was maybe my problem a little bit before right was that no no i mean you're laughing and that's but it's true it's it's just that just the way it is and and i think um i mean really like yeah, I, I, if, if people would start saying, well, this is, you know, this is great what, you, what you're doing. And I, I say, well, wait, it's what God is doing, first of all. And second of all, it's, it's what this team is doing because it's, I'm just part of something. I see myself as, as part of something much bigger than myself and, and where I'm, yeah, I mean, I really love this idea of, I know Patrick Lencioni doesn't like the idea of servant leadership because it's, you shouldn't even have to say that. It's, it's obvious that all leadership should be servant leadership. But I, I really think that's so important you know, to say, how, how can you invest in people make help make them grow? Like, um, yeah. And, and, and obviously there's tons of help that I've had from the people here to help me do that. And also the people that have suggested things um, but also people that have been, I, I've never actually met them, but I've learned so much from them, like Craig Rochelle, John Maxwell, um, people like Andy Stanley, uh, just, but also a lot of Catholic priests and people that I, I really find impressive. No? And, and, yeah. and I think you can learn so much. One of the things I really like about Pope Benedict, I had the chance to meet him once when he was still a cardinal and to have dinner with him in Rome. And I was so impressed about that meeting, really, really, because he was. Everybody talks about the Panzer Cardinal and so on back then, you no. Know? And at the end of the meal, I realized that he had been asking questions the whole time. Like, I said, "Wait a second, there's something backward here. I should have been asking the questions, you no." Know? But he was asking and sincerely asking questions, and I and I thought, well, you know, I think one of the reasons why that guy is so smart. <laughs> Is because he listens and he really listens and he really tries to learn from other people and and I think that's been one of the big things that I hope that we don't lose and I hope that we've part of our culture that we want to be remain smart. That's why I'm going to come to the states in the summer to Dallas and to Napa and and you not know, because we we want to keep learning and we want to like realize okay stay humble right because um this is not about us it's it's about him and. Yeah. Are you coming to the Divine Renovation Conference by any chance? Yeah, somebody asked me. I'm not exactly, they haven't exactly told me exactly what they want me to do, but it's, I think, maybe in a small group or a table discussion or something. There's a way. I look forward to to seeing you there. I'll be there as well. And I hope people will get tickets and come and meet you. Uh, I know there's still some tickets left, so it's not too late. Um, I want to, and feel free not to answer this last question if if it's not appropriate, but. I can't help but think, um, you know, the city, any, any inner city that's, that's lovely is going to be expensive. And you guys have purchased this piece of property and are in the process of renovating it. I mean, you have a congregation of 350 people. That's not a lot of people in North American standards, but I know it's a great success where you're at. But I'm, I'm thinking about it from a perspective of funding that that project like that must be a big project and i'm guessing there's a sizable gap between where you're at and where you where you need to be or where you want to be is that something that that you can talk about or is that like no that's too much information (laughs) hey i gladly talk about that (laughs) Um, no i mean i i understand and there's there's i think this is another thing you have to understand our context why this is why we were saying we could have gone to the outer city, like to the, to the suburbs yeah. and, and for the same amount of money, put something a lot bigger on, on the table, so to speak. But we would have, and the diocese didn't want it either because they're saying, um, mm. we want you people in this, like there's a reason why you're here. I mean, this is, you're reaching young professionals, you're working with the, stu- with the university students. Um, you know, this is where, where, where things are happening. The arts scene is happening here everything so if you want to have if you want to have an impact i think it's really important that we are where we are and even like some of the, a lot of the parishes coming to us um there's a reason you know i think this location 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 you know, as they say um i think mcdonald's or somebody says something like that but i think it really is important and you know you shouldn't underestimate that um but what but, but we did pray a lot about it we did think a lot about it um I realize it's a huge project. I don't know if I like if it's good or bad to say um, some numbers, but like it's it's a big 
for us, it's it's quite a sizable thing that we're trying to put together. That's true. And now it's in, it's insane because we have actually we have a building permission which is going to run out after a certain amount of time. So we can maybe delay. Like we've done a year planning. It's it's a you said it's a small hotel for us. It's a pretty big hotel, and um, because it's almost ten times the size of what we have now. Um, yes. But but um, the, so we've done a year planning. We're just about to start the building actually building the thing and we can probably delay two or three months maybe but then we start getting problems with the building permission and that would be and and now we had the ukrainian war i mean there was a moment where for about three months i said well two months forget about for the moment about the building we're going to fundraise for the ukraine and we're going to do everything we possibly can and we started off a cooperation with a with a parish right on the border and the john paul ii foundation in Lviv, which is the ukrainian city on the western side and Actually, we just got a, a. I was really humbled, also, and blessed to have a, have a thanks, thank you note from the Archbishop of Lviv for the work that we've been doing to help them out. And because I said, mm. oh, I, I was thinking of Saint Vincent de Paul, and he and he lived in such a crazy time. Um, he inspired me because he he thought long term, he thought short term, and he he said, okay, on the one hand, we we've got problems, we have these wars going on, we have all these things going on, and so we need to build hospitals, we need to help the poor people, we need to do all these things. But at the same time, by the time he was dead, his congregations were running 53 seminaries. And, and you know, just the role of priests in society back then is also, you can't even understand today's context what that means, right, for society. So he was thinking really long term. And so we said, okay, we're going to, we think our Lord is help, telling us to do the same thing, to say, yes, we realize it's going to be more expensive. To build this building now, we're looking at twenty percent more than than you know just a year ago, um, but we're gonna jump for it anyway because people now are asking more questions than ever. Like this is such an opportunity mm-hmm. for evangelization, and so we've got to think long term. We've got to you know work up for Europe, which is we don't have crazy wars like this. And obviously, I'm not you know we're such a small thing and we're just doing a small contribution, mm-hmm. but. Um, we can't just sit around and not do anything. And so, and at the same time, yes, look at the short-term needs that were we had in Ukraine. And so we tried, you know, to do everything we do up there. I went to the Ukraine um, right the first days of the war um, to get an image, like what was happening. Really, really fascinating. Really, oh my goodness. But um, mm. <clears throat> that's another story, you know. But to answer your question, um, yes, this costs a lot of money. Yes, uh, we're trying to find. Um, ways to finance this whole thing and it's it, mm. uh, it's quite the challenge and on the other hand i'm always been very confident that our lord is going to help us to make it happen so Wonderful. that's why we're going ahead anyway. well listen and i'm glad you are and I, one of the things that i hear in what you're doing and i just appreciate it so much you're not building a church you're you're building a you're building a movement to help others. It's not just, it's not self-serving. It's actually to serve a broader purpose, which is to bring people home to God. And, and it's so desperately needed. So thank you for what you're doing. And if, if there's listeners listening to this, or you're friends with people who are afflicted with wealth and do like to get behind projects in the church that are making a huge difference, how would people get in touch with you, Father George? Well, there's our website. It's zjp2.at. So okay. Z, like the, or Z, I think. No, the Canadian says Z. Um, JP2, so it's Centrum for Center in German, and then JP2 for John Paul II, and then .at for Austria, AT for Austria. And there you, there's there's an email and just info and just contact us and we'll, we'll, Wonderful. we'll, we'll get back. We'll get back to you. We have also possibilities in the states that for example if somebody gives us a donation in the states that he can get a tax fund refund in the states and it's and it's sent on because and that's all legal we've we've looked all into that um that's that's probably i mean i understand like i i was in the united states actually recently and somebody told me it wasn't mostly there was excitement but there was a few reactions like you live in one of the richest cities in the world <laughs> and like what's the return on investment i can do so much more in africa and you no know, and so why should we support you guys and they said yeah but they're all pagans that's the point you know and you know we're like uh you're brought the faith to north america like help us with our dying mother you know that's kind of my narrative um and, 
and <clears throat> yeah so that's that's it i guess beautiful well father george thanks for making the time what a wonderful conversation yeah we'll have to talk again in the future <laughs> we absolutely yeah. will god bless you thanks god again. bless you thank you encourage you as you leave this week be faithful to god and generous to others see you next time and remember if you're still breathing you are powerful